Welcome to Return to Soil, a podcast about people who grow and make the food we eat. Today, I will be visiting a farm in Tehachapi, California. Tehachapi is about two hours north of downtown Los Angeles. After passing the traffic of LA, the drive up is rather beautiful. You can see mountains and clear skies for miles. Along the way are a few towns, some windmills, and a little bit of vegetation. The town of Tehachapi is surprisingly much more bustling than I thought. There are several restaurants in the area of 5 star ratings and Yelp. I even passed by a Vietnamese pho place. The goal of my visit today is to learn a little bit about the life of a farmer and to learn what it takes to survive in Southern California. I'm here with Alex Weiser, one of the owners of Weiser Farms, and their website is weiserfamilyfarms.com. I've been personally shopping at the Long Beach Farmers Market for several years and have always been very excited for their produce. For me, being here, it's quite an honor. Well, thank you. It's great to have you up here. Thanks. Dan. From reading on your bio, this is a family business? Correct. And how did you personally get started in the farm business? Well, it, it was my mom and dad's retirement. Their dream, their whole life was to have a farm and to, especially my dad. My dad was really, we always talked growing up how we were looking for land or we're going to plant an avocado orchard or olives. We were always, that was always the dream. My dad was a teacher in the LAUSD school system at Garfield High School in East Los Angeles for many years. And when he had the chance to retire at 55, we bought an apple orchard in Tehachapi and uh, we finally did it. And boom, we are now farming. We, we bought a 160 acre apple orchard in 1977. And uh, then our, our life has never been the same since <laughs> in, in a wonderful way. Totally green, not knowing what we're doing. We just jumped in and started growing it. Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, and Roman Beauty. And that was in 1977. Before there was farmer's markets, before there was specialty produce or food channel, it was basically conventional type farming at that time. When you had those initial crops, who did you sell to at that time? The only way you could sell what you grow was to pack it out, to put it in a standardized box, and to have counts and all the same size, wax them, ship them, send them to your broker downtown LA, and he or she gets what you can get for it in the market. We, we had, right off the bat, some sp spring frost that wiped out the, the crop two years in a row. The first years was not a romantic, this is, oh, you know, blissful, we're farming. It, it was kind of scary because we were losing a lot of money really quick. Fortunately, we got a knock on our door one day from a gentleman named Vance Corum, who was working with Jerry Brown in 1980, 81, and... Uh, he told us about these farmers markets that, that were starting and the direct marketing order that was passed to help family farms survive was a time when there was no farm success story. Family farms were being lost at a great rate. We are going to take a quick break to talk about the 1970s. Back then, farms sold their produce under these food brokers. However, the only people who made money under this system were huge farm entities. One solution to this problem was to allow farmers to sell directly to consumers. It was not yet allowed by California regulations. In the mid-70s, pilot programs were started in San Jose to see how it would work. And in 1978, regulations were formally signed by Governor Brown in California. It is hard to underestimate the significance of this event. Perhaps if these regulations never got passed, small farms may have closed shops in mass, and we may never have seen the farmers markets we enjoy today. Now back to the interview. 
can you tell us a little bit about the land? Uh, so we're in Tachapi, California, and it's a uh, it's a it's a gorgeous day. But like, what typically is the the area like and the weather? Yeah, well, that's a good question because Tehachapi is very unique growing ground for Southern California. Most ground in Southern California are in the warm interior areas or on the coast where they get uh, early crops and consistency. Up here in Tehachapi, you know, we're at 4,300 feet. It's a mountain valley, which is like having an East Coast property here in Southern California. <laughs> so we get four seasons up here. Uh, we have get snow in the winter, just typical four season weather. Fro- and that frost in the winter and the fall and winter really makes our root vegetables taste great. So can you describe the process of your crops? So let's just say we're, we're, I guess we're in the third quarter. Yeah. When you plant crops, you're doing crop rotations, right? Mm-hmm. How, what's the, uh, the frequency? Is it per quarter? You can see here we have different blocks and they're all set up in different ways. So if we're growing, but it yeah, depends how long that crop takes. For example, up here in Tehachapi, it's a short growing season. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can grow things uh, 12 months out of the year because you do get the frost and the mm-hmm. frozen time when the ground is frozen. But that's the time when our crop is made and in the ground. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's gaining all that flavor, like our parsnips and carrots. And mm-hmm. a lot of our potatoes will keep in the ground through the fall and winter, and we can dig them as we need them. Again, a tahatchee kind of just fills in that gap. So it, like in Ventura, you can grow five crops of lettuce and you can you know grow three or four crops on one piece of ground. Up here, it's one or two crops a season. So what we, our rotation is usually our, our fall-planted grain, uh, wheat, rye, or barley, which is dry land, and that's when we get our, our, our rain in the fall. So that so that that is our rotation is usually cover crop, some usually grain. We mix in vetch in there sometimes f- to build nitrogen. Um, yeah, maybe we can explain what a cover crop is. Well, a cover crop is is a crop that you grow for not the for just the benefit of the soil. Ah, I see. And, and there's no mo- real monetary, there's no monetary gain in, se- in what you're selling. The monetary gain is in your soil, building your soil, which has value, but you're not selling anything. You're just growing it green, growing it to a point where you get, where you want it, uh, where you have a lot of organic matter, and then you turn it into the soil, and it just improves the soil tilth and for example, if we grew a crop for carrots, right? Mm-hmm. So after the carrots are harvested, you would plant the cover crop afterwards? Yes. And then after that's grown to a point, then you start the next one? Depending on the on our crop plans, we would turn it under and we turn it under in the spring and start and then add compost, start preparing the soil, list beds, make beds. Another thing we do is like uh, start, you know, getting bed preparation, you know, just like anything, when, when, knowing what you're going to grow, you're going to work on the weeds. If it's something we're going to be planting in the springtime right away, we'll bed up and start planting. Right. What months are the planting window? Uh, well, the, the ground is stops freezing around Mar- you know, late February, March. So you can start planting your cool weather crops in March, March through August, uh, planting outside without any crop protection. Mm-hmm. But we, we like to plant out here. Our biggest planting time out here is uh, around June and July, okay. because that's when uh, when you plant in June and July. That, that's when we, or when we plant our carrots and potatoes. That's when they come in right in the fall, mm-hmm. and that's when you hit the frost, and that's when the carrots and root vegetables really start taste, tasting at their best. So, up here we're, we're planting our fall winter crops. 
so th- th- this is a big time for planting for us now. This is the time we want to get all our carrots and parsnips and rutabagas. You know, even though we're so busy harvesting our melons and our warm weather crops, right. uh, it's my job to stay, keep my focus on the seasons ahead and make sure we have our crops for next season, which is hard to do sometimes. Do you even get rainfall? I'm sure everybody knows California is in a drought at the moment. Does rainfall pass through Tachapi? Oh, yeah. We're a mountain valley. So, uh, we're south, southern Sierras and the Pacific Coast Range come together here in the Tachapi Mountains. So we do get weather up here. We, we a- average around 12 and a half, 13 inches of rain a year. Oh, okay. It used to be 16 inches, but, you know, the r- averages are <laughs> moving down slowly. Right. But as you can see out to the left there, we planted uh, some beer barley this year, Copeland beer barley. Mm-hmm. Even in this drought year, mm-hmm. we, we, we made a crop. Huh. Uh, and you can see down the way, we were growing, rye is very drought tolerant. Uh, so even in this, the worst drought year ever, we, we still made some, some wheat and grain crops. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Can you give a kind of a short overview of water rights? Uh, we know that there's like senior water rights and water rights for the farmers, for those who have no idea what a water yeah, You right know, is. it's different in every water district. It's uh, a right to pump the water out of the ground, and it's something that uh, you can sell or rent, or it's just like owning property. And that's part of uh, the farm. You can have great ground in the middle of nowhere. That, well, the reason why nothing's being grown on it because there's no water there. Oh, I see. So... Uh, Water, the you know, thing cro- crops grow where, where the water flows. I think that that's someone that's someone's <laughs> term, but it's true. Yeah. For that, so a water right would mean that you have X amount of gallons per year. Is that how it is, or is or it... acre feet? Oh, acre it, feet. It's, it's so many acre feet a year. Okay. I think what a lot of people don't realize, or I didn't realize, is when uh, we had a drought. I thought no rain passes through this region at all, but that's. It's very interesting well, to me. To well, you that. know what? It depends where you're at. Like here, we get snow. This is the first year we didn't get snow on the ground uh, in 100 years, I, I think. Our farm in the high desert, Lucerne Valley, is in the back side of the mountains. So it's on the desert side. There we get four inches of rain. But we have, since we're on the back side of the mountains, we have great aquifers that travel long distances from, from so we're along the base of the mountains. And it's crazy, but we have, uh, there's, there's water in the desert. There's water uh, mm. in the Coachella Valley. There's a lot of water down there, uh, where you're at, you know, the snow drops on the mountains and percolates into the aqueducts and travels, you know, aqueducts and aquifers, aqueducts. I mean, aquifers are un- basically, basically underground rivers. So because the, because this region has some snow, the, the snow melts and goes into the aquifer, which means your well has access to yes, water, right? Right. Maybe compared to some other regions that may not be fortunate, right. which there's no like snow. Like the San Joaquin Valley, which, you know, there's a lot of areas where, you know, the water is delivered. There's always a cha- you know, times like in droughts that you don't get your delivery. Then what do you do? Hmm. So we're very fortunate to have the water below us. Do you have any favorite crops that you like to personally eat? I lo- sunchokes. I love uh, our Jusla artichokes. Yes. They're they're delicious. They're be- they they grow uh great. Not not so hard to grow. They're beautiful when you see them growing. It's a field of sunflowers. Culinarily, 
Uh, they're very versatile. You can roast them. You can use them raw. You can pickle them. You can julienne them and mash them and fry them. Plus, they're, uh, there's a great story behind them. It's a, a true Native American crop. Oh, really? Even though it's called Jerusalem artichoke. or I like sunchoke better. And it just seems to be not known by the public and I think they're delicious. So, so it's exciting to bring something new that has so much potential. Uh, but I, and I think I have a new one coming up that I, it's my new exciting crop is a uh, scorzonera or, or black salsify, which is a root, another root vegetable that we specialize in. And it, and that vegetable particularly loves that frost and cold weather that we were talking about, just like parsnips. Mm-hmm. So if you have good parsnip brown, that means you have good, salsify ground and i ate some uh at a few <laughs> restaurants that's the perks of uh coming down to the city and right. selling at farmer's markets you get to visit the restaurants you sell to and i just noticed them on menus and always asked about them and they seem to be always imported from holland huh. and i say gee how come no one's growing them out here and there's no reason but not everybody has the ground we have up here in tehachapi that's perfect for it so we have a, a half acre growing this year it's looking good, and I'm very excited about it. Any exciting future projects? A lot. Well, uh, right now I'm doing a, a project with my buddy John, my neighbor. It's a new venture that, that really complements Wiser Family Farms because over these years, you know, we have grain, we have produce, we have all these different vegetables and seasonal produce, and we sell to farmers markets and restaurants. And but you know, there's always waste on the farm, and I always hated to see you know not everything being used on the farm. And we always wanted, I always loved having farm animals, but because of the, you know, f- good agricultural practices and food safety issues, we hadn't had animals on our farm for 20 years. Hmm. And it was really always a s- sad thing. But my buddy having the property just down the road, down the hill with a pear orchard between us, uh, w- was there lying dormant, a beautiful pig and rabbit ranch that uh, was there since 1921 that, had been, that ha- has been dormant since 1983 so he and i got this idea of starting to raise heritage animals and it's our second year and we're raising gloucester old spot pigs and Hmm. and that's going great and it's really great part of it really helps wiser farms too you know nothing goes to waste uh really completes the holistic balance of what we're doing nothing everything is being used and now when we have farm dinners we can eat everything from our own from, from where we see nice yeah yeah and it's and it's a new thing and it's a lot of fun if there is um anything that you could tell someone who's uh buying your products what's the one thing you would want them to take away from about how your farm does things differently than other farms well much of my brethren at the farmers markets do the same thing but it, it's just growing for for the flavor and quality that taste like they should taste. Oh, this is this is a melon. Ah, you know, this is a delicious potato. So we, we don't grow for yield or tonnage. It's more about this is the best tasting. That's what we look for. And sticking to what our comparative advantage is was where we farm. You know, we grow what does best where we farm, which gives us something that tastes like it should taste. Nice. Well, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to see some pictures and videos of the farm, you can visit returntosoil.com. 
Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes as every review helps. Music is by George Shaw, and you can learn more at georgeshawmusic.com. For the next episode, I'll be chatting with the rancher. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.